Today we sit and talk with Jeff Trodell, a Minnesota artist who grew up dreaming of life as a rock and roll roadie. Not really as a fan, but rather as an artist who would eventually use his creativity to give some of the biggest bands in the industry their colorful identities. <laughs> Problem was, the fast life on the road made Jeff realize just what he was missing back home. It is a moment that led Jeff to a sort of new artistic creation and an almost cult following by those of us who love life on the trail, in the boat, or in the woods. Hey there, Bill Shirk, the man about the woods for the Minnesota Historical Society. I have an idea for you. You need to visit the Forest History Center near Grand Rapids. You can learn about the history of Minnesota's great north woods and also the lumberjacks who lived and worked there. You can explore a recreated 1900s-era logging camp on the Mississippi River. You can also visit a 1930s forest ranger's cabin. You can climb the fire tower, walk the trails, and check out interactive exhibits about Minnesota's forests of yesterday and today. Learn more at mnhs.org slash forresthistorycenter. So it's a funny thing. When I am on the road, either for work or with the family, I am always looking for that next story, right? It's just kind of part of who I am. And uh, a couple seasons back, we found quite a doozy um, just by chance, and it led to a new friendship. And isn't that what it's all about? Hey everybody, Bill Shirk, the man about the woods. Welcome to the Minnesota Bound podcast, the stories behind the stories. You know, um, as an outdoor journalist or outdoor schmuck, whatever my title is, again, we're always looking for stories. And I walked into a fly shop and there was the hat rack and I'm always looking at the cool new lids and there was a hat with a custom painted fish that my kid pointed out and said, Dad, that's a cool one. I want to have that. And, of course, I grabbed the hat and looked to see if I could find some sort of name, and there it was, hand-scribed, and um, made a call, led to a Minnesota Bound story, and, um, again, more importantly, led to a friendship. Jeff Trodal was the name scribbled on that hat in silver pen paint, and Jeff, how many times have you put your autograph on a hat? Oh, geez, that's a, uh, I would guess at least a, several hundred times, at, at least maybe 500 or so. It is where these hats came from that is such a story for you. You and I have talked before, but today I want to dig a little bit deeper into that story because... From what I know about you, this was a big transition in life. Um, so let's go back in time a little bit and start, we'll forget about the hats for a second, and start with you as a kid. Like, what kind of kid were you? <laughs> well, I'd like to say I was a, a, a perfect child, um, but I don't believe that's true. I was a, a very, um, I've been told by my mother and my, my grandmother over the years that um, it was always interesting of the projects I had going on at home and um, the things I was doing and building and making. And um, I seemed to always have to uh, create something. So I've always 
had a, a creative gene in my myself. Um, so I don't want to age you, but like <laughs> Lincoln Log, cabins, erector sets, uh, I mean, Legos, Spirograph. Legos, light brights. Uh, never had a Spirograph, though. My, my son has one now, and it's, I wish I might have had one back then. Um, you know, uh, a lot of, um, we, we did a lot of coloring in our house. There was a lot of, there's a big old bucket of crayons, and um, we spent a lot of time with um, coloring books. And I remember long ago trying to stay in the lines like my brother could and my babysitters could and things like that, and trying to do everything the older kids were doing or do something a little bit better. Um, but I, I, uh, I just always had to make something, and I was always, always making birthday cards and or any holiday card, so to speak, um, and, and art gifts for my family. Um, and things just kind of kept going, I guess. I, so you always liked it or were attracted to it or just good at it? Absolutely. I, uh, I think it was maybe second or third grade I told my teacher I wanted to grow up and be an art tech because I thought that was the art job in the world. Mm-hmm. To be an architect, I still do, but I haven't found that one yet. Well, my cousin <laughs> is an architect, and strangely enough, he still uses crayons. <laughs> there are many Whole Foods buildings that were drawn by crayons. Perfect, perfect. Uh, all right, so so you get through school. I mean, you go to high school. Are you thinking art is going to be a career at this point? Absolutely, um, absolutely. I. Uh, I think it was a plan. I mean, I, was, I wasn't planning on picking an art college or anything in elementary school, but it was a plan to always be an artist. Um, and I was always interested in music. I think uh, my father took me to um, Beatlemania, the play, long ago. And, and then when Grease came out, he said, this is going to be a movie you're really going to like. Wow. And, you know, it was a musical, obviously. Um, and and that kind of set me into this world of music, and I ended up digging through my folks' vinyl piles and found a whole bunch of Beatles and Kingston Trio and Elvis and uh, Buddy Holly and all that good stuff, and um, that just kind of led in my my love of music, and 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 then I thought I'd be a guitarist at some point. Mm-hmm. <laughs> a lot of time in front of the mirror. <laughs> um, Rocking out to my favorite songs and um, and but I was always always drawing and um, you know there's just times when you're a kid that if if you've kind of got that creative edge it stands out a little bit you know at a open house at school or whatever somebody else's parent might say something about your your fish is so good or whatever it is you might have drawn um, and that that stuck with me I I. I really appreciated that attention. The positive reinforcement. Yeah. And and then... Um, In my case, it was, Bill, stop eating the crayons. <laughs> <laughs> I, I had a, a pencil chewing problem, too, but not the colored stuff, just the pencils. <laughs> um, so my dad had Kingston Trio on vinyl. Does your collection still exist, by chance? It does. It does. The vinyl is not... Um, out and accessible because of the age of my children. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> protecting it a little bit. Um, but my oldest niece at some point in time, um, a few years back, turned to me and asked if I owned Pink Floyd The Wall on vinyl, and I 
had to turn away and wipe my tears and turn back and say yes, but you may never borrow it, mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> which is not true. Um, but uh, uh, yeah, that absolutely. And, and then I spent many years working at Musicland, good six or seven years, and my CD collection is immense. Um, far too big, but it's uh, all that. I still, I still have all that. So what are we supposed to do? I, I don't want to get off topic here, but what are we supposed to do with our CD collections? You know, I don't, I'm waiting for them to come back. <laughs> because they still sound amazing. Absolutely. And you still, every once in a while, I'll find myself in somebody's car that still has a CD player, and then I'll run back in the house and grab what I can find. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I, I'm just hoping at some point in time they make a big comeback and and I can do something with my collection. I used to be the guy who had the scratch remover thing. So you'd put it in with a little bit of the solution. You'd crank for half an hour and oh, nothing would happen. So you'd crank and crank and crank and eventually the skips would get a little better. All right, let's get back to your story. So you go <laughs> off to art school, college? Oh, but what I was going to say... Um, too, is, is at some point after all that, my cousin introduced me to the band Kiss. And they, at the time, had Kiss trading cards. Yep. And, um, you know, Kiss was kind of a... Uh, Kiss dolls. I had all four of them, I believe. Maybe not all four, but I had a few. Um, and uh, just that was... That was the, at, that, at my age, that was just the pull on music. I was yeah. like, this is amazing. They're breathing fire. They're fireworks, the whole work's going on. And, um, and that, from then on out, I was, I was destined to do an album at some point in my life. Um, so then, then came high school, or junior high school, I guess, in high school. Um, and I uh, started to, to get um, all sorts of different side jobs in high school. I would do everything from, um, I would paint everybody's Converse high tops for prom, or I would make shirts for different da- for different groups going to the school dances. Yes. Um, some of the school sports, I got to make um, like shirts for the teams and things like that. Um, I, I created a, a hornet for um, an Edina hockey team um, for junior gold one year that they apparently still use to this day, which I'm quite proud of. He's you find it, he'll, it's not, you know, the safest drawing out there of a hornet, but it's, it's quite entertaining, <laughs> and the fact they still use it, he's kind of given, he's given two, two number ones in a special way. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but when I see the coach to this day, who's the, still the same coach, they, they flip me the bird. It's just great. <laughs> so what I think is amazing is at this point, most people who I think eventually become artists, they're like drawing you know, scribbles in their three-ring binders during class, but you were kind of established. Well, I, uh, I mean, I, there was a lot of that. I think if we could pull out some of my old school papers, the entire borders are filled with doodles and things. Um, there was a, a year of testing that um, I decided to just do designs in the, um, make designs on the test scores or on the, the sheets. Um, but I, uh, I was kind of known, I think, from the get-go by my friends and my my group that I was the artist mm. in the group, um, and it just and then uh, junior high I started 
um, taking lessons outside of school, art classes and things. And wow. that's, that's when it got a little more, a little more serious, I guess. So working at Musicland was high school? Musicland was um, after college. So yeah. I got, yep, yeah, I was. All right, so you go off to college. Let's get to college first. Yeah. Where? Uh, college of Associate Arts okay. in St. Paul, mm-hmm. which does not, unfortunately, does not exist anymore. Um, you brought them to their knees. The, they're like, enough is enough. We got to, we got to, just, this is it. We're done. We're done. Um, but they, uh, I did, I did two years at Hennepin Tech yep. in Eden Prairie. And then I did three more years um, at College of Associated Arts in St. Paul. Studying history and different. Yeah, I got a, a bachelor in fine arts. Um, a minor in illustration and a major in design communications. So at the time, I um, thought I was just going to get into the graphic design and graphics world and not so much the illustration and all that. Musicland comes along, which for anyone listening who doesn't remember Musicland, for us it was the place. I mean, that's where you went to get your music. Absolutely. If it wasn't some little corner shop, it was music land. Absolutely. And, and if your mother took you to the mall, that's where you were. Right. right. <laughs> what was their main color? Was it orange or was it something else? It was gold and, and gold. maroon. Yeah. It's almost like an offset of McDonald's. <laughs> but, but cooler. But those were, those were buying colors. Those were those colors that would inspire you in the mall to spend money, apparently. So you're working at music land. And then one day. Something major happens? Um, well, I, there was about four or five years at Musicland, and just about every week something enormous happened, whether it was Dolly Parton coming in to, to promote her new album and she was coming to speak to the sales teams and, and everyone in the building, or um, Frank's a, a huge fan... Frank Sinatra release would go out, or Dave Matthews was. There's always something going on because it was Musicland. They were covering everybody, but what happened was somebody went off and invented this thing called the internet, and I was in meetings with all the heads of all the record labels, just kind of sitting back in the dark corner, just in case they needed a sign in a store somewhere about whatever they were talking about. But the meetings were about back catalog and where people, you know, nobody knew exactly how the internet was going to work out and and nobody was planning on building all these stores and retail at the time. I'm sure it was a thought, but it wasn't, nobody knew it was coming. Um, and, and all of a sudden they were talking about the fact that you could go to a few different stores like Target or Best Buy and you could buy a new released album, but you could never go to those stores again and buy an old album. You couldn't get any back catalog on your favorite band. So they were trying to figure out how in the world that was going to work and what they would do to, to, to keep that going. And then now, obviously, it's all online and you can get anything and more that you're looking for because it's all available. Um, but then there's still now your corner shops where they're, you know, have got boxes of whatever and then you've, it's gotten to the point you have to be lucky to find. Yeah, you'd click through the A bin trying to find a certain album, and yeah, hope it's there and hope it's not scratched. Look, and... Air Supply, <laughs> nine ninety nine in exactly. good shape. Exactly. 
Exactly. So it's that that um, for me um, kind of became a, a and I at, at having spent a few years working for Musicland, I got to know my favorite bands through the labels that were in town to work with Musicland. Which were what bands? Give us a rough list of a few. Well, the the number one band for me is is uh, is was Widespread Panic. Um, they're a, a jam band that's been around since late 80s. Um, they're out of uh, the South, and um, they were, at the time, playing on an, uh, on a label called Capricorn. And um, I happened to be starting to work for Johnny Lang here in town, and he had some ties with his people with Capricorn. And so I started to meet the reps there and everything and let them know what my interests were really lying. And, um, and then because of my position at Musicland, when these bands would show up or something would come up, I would get a call directly from Capricorn and they'd say, you know, the band's coming in if you want to come say hello or drop your business card off type of thing. Wow. Um, but then they also, the uh, Government Mule and some of the Allman Brothers bands were on that. Um, side shoot bands were on that label too so it was one of those things where I was just kind of showing up and smiling as much as possible at this point of your life are you doing anything outdoors is there any fish camp hunt in your life at this point uh, yeah, absolutely um, I, uh, it's always been fishing for me um, we were everything from you know from going to, to nearby lakes um, friends cabins um, going up north, Malax, uh, nothing um, major. We we did more. Uh, we did a lot of fishing trips as a family, and when my father passed away, those just kind of we just weren't so excited to do them without him, and they just kind of dwindled. And time went by, and um, and my brother and I talk about it all the time now with my sons about taking them back to the places we were up north and. Um, and all that, but it's it's uh, you know it's been a lot of um, a, a lot of fishing with my my good friends from when I was a child um, that have been fishing and hunting more than ever since day one, and then I just kind of got back in touch with them, and 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 um, that led to, gosh, it was maybe early in the two thousands that we started going out west and going fly fishing. Um, but during college, it was all kind of in between parties. Yeah, right. <laughs> for all of us, right? Yeah. But those trips would change you and make you miss. We'll get to that in a second. But first, first I want to uh, thank some of the sponsors that helped make this podcast happen. It's the Minnesota Bound Podcast, the stories behind the stories. Jeff Trolldahl is my guest today, and, and we're about to get to a doozy. First up. We'd like to thank North Dakota. Hey, everybody. Bill Shirk, the man about the woods. It's time to plan your fall hunt in North Dakota. Get this. With an estimated 3.4 million breeding ducks, North Dakota Central Region is prime habitat for hunting waterfowl. In fact, right now, the state's breeding duck index sits 38% above the long-term average. And the water's up, too. The spring water index is up 616% over 2021. That's a good thing. 
Now, when you consider that North Dakota has approximately 700,000 acres of private land open to public walk-in hunting, guess what? You've got an outdoor oasis. For the latest information about public hunting lands and private land open to sportsmen and women, visit North Dakota Game and Fish Department. Bag your limit in fall. Bag your limit this fall in North Dakota. Visit legendarynd.com. Also, we'd like to thank Hewitt Docks. Hewitt Docks lifts and pontoon legs began in a small south central Minnesota town with a mission to make dock install and removal easier by inventing the roller dock. Well, now the company has evolved to provide everything you might need to improve your lake time. In addition to the classic roller dock or the new ultra dock system, Hewitt offers all-terrain staircases, gangways, canopies, and lifts, along with any accessory you might need. Celebrate 50 years of business with us. Go to HewittRad.com to enter for a chance to win a free dock and monthly prizes. Hewitt Docks, lifts, and pontoon legs. Work hard, play harder. You deserve a Hewitt. And the Minnesota Propane Association. Reducing carbon emissions is good for everyone. But how do we reduce emissions while also meeting our world's increasing energy needs? Using propane is an excellent way to reduce emissions while meeting energy needs today. Propane is a clean, non-toxic energy source that helps reduce carbon emissions right now. In fact, propane's carbon intensity score in Minnesota is only 80. Grid electricity in Minnesota, including wind and solar, has a much higher carbon intensity score of 136. Who knew that using propane was much cleaner than electricity? Plus, the abundance of propane and growth of renewable propane means it can be used for generations to come. Millions of Americans rely on propane to heat their homes and businesses, fuel vehicles on road and off, and much more, making propane the right energy right now. Find out more about what propane can do for you and the environment by going to propane.com. All right, Jeff. So you're working at Musicland. You're meeting people from some of the biggest parts of the, that industry. At some point, you go to work for those big bands. Doing what? Well, um, in the uh, you mean while I was at Musicland or when I no, after I left, you kind of broke and yeah, I hit the road. I so did to speak. Um, I did. Uh, I, I just kind of laid my letter down on the desk and and headed out. Um, and at that time, um, I left on a Friday and I I went to work for Best Buy on a Monday freelancing and did a Stevie Nicks album. A Pearl Jam album. Uh, oh gosh, and a couple other ones. Uh, Led Zeppelin album. A couple giveaways that they were they were doing. Um, and what were you doing specifically? I was creating the entire package. So um, the CD package. Um, I was designing the cover and the insides, and then um, those type of jobs. Um, they're never quite just ready to be put together they're always working out time on the cd and the songs and order and all these different things and when it's a corporate giveaway it's even more of a um a trail of approvals so to speak it's takes a while um but like the at the time the pearl jam um cd was coming out after a new release of their album and and best buy was planning to give it away if you purchased another Pearl Jam item at their store. 
Um, but for me, it was, you know, I was just head over heels sitting in front of my computer looking at the name Pearl Jam on my screen every day. Um, right. Just amazing stuff and listening to them. And it uh, was a special release from Australia. It was a live release because they'll allow their music to be recorded live as long as it's not being used for somebody else to make money. Um, but so it was all kind of special stuff. And the Stevie Nicks album, it was the same kind of thing. It was, there was some uh, special tracks on it and just things you wouldn't get to be a part of until you bought the, bought the album at the store. Um, but I, uh, you know, I would, I would just kind of more or less be in, involved in meetings and planning and, and all that. And then I go home and uh, would create several different ideas, concepts, um, preliminary things as much as I could, um, and then put those into a presentation form and go back to these meetings and present everything and everybody puts in their two cents and 10 cents or 200 bucks or whatever they're putting in. And, um, and then I go back and put it in the, the crayon blender again and keep going back and forth and, um, and finally land on something. And, you know, and then of course the band is on the side somewhere approving things as well. Um, which is sometimes you get to speak with them and sometimes it's just kind of a yes or no kind of answer. But, um, and that was that was right in in the beginning when I when I got out of there. But then I uh, I went on the road with Johnny Lang for a few years as as his photographer, um, and there I was doing everything from um, coming up with new merch, kind of paying attention to what you know people were buying or um, going to other concerts and researching, which was always fun um, for that kind of stuff. But I was uh, kind of on the road creating more things for the fans, if, if that's a good way to put it. Um, and, but then kind of absorbing the vibes and things of the bands, too. And um, some of them, uh, the different, el- like, uh, che- I did a Cheap Trick album, their 25th anniversary album, and uh, ended up with some behind-the-scenes backstage photos and things that, you know, just things you wouldn't come across um, or even, even more, uh, fun was, um, a compilation CD music land gave away at a twins game. And, uh, it was a music night themed deal at that game. And if you went and, you know, with your ticket, you got a free CD from music land, but I got to go into the basement of the twins stadium and go through all the archives. So I pulled out a picture of Rod Carew playing a bass, uh, a ba- uh, bathtub bass in the locker room and just things that, wow. you know, who knew they existed kind of stuff and, and then lay out this CD package. So, you know, when a fan gets home and big baseball person or whatever, and maybe they're not a huge m- music fan, um, gets home and opens this thing up, there would be pictures of, of, these athletes that nobody had ever seen before and just collectible stuff. And then, you know, hopefully that will lead them to listening to the CD and learning stuff about new bands. And then the big hope is they go back to the store and buy those CDs. Um, But then vice versa too. If you're a music fan and not big on baseball, then it's good you're at a baseball game. But, um, 
you know, just kind of tying all that together and bringing it, those different types of things. Um, it's always just, it, it's always different, but it's always, uh, I get, well, exciting is, is a weak word for that, but it's always, it's a lot of fun. But you're on a pedestal. You're doing things that a lot of us regular Joes would give a leg to experience, right? You're, you're with these people. You're seeing these things. And, and <clears throat> maybe that leads me to the question, like, for us commoners, what's life on the road like? Is it what we have in our heads? Is it sex, drugs, and rock and roll, you know, <laughs> eight days a week? Or is it, no, it's actually, you know, we have a calendar. We keep a daily itinerary. We're in bed at 9 o'clock. And we're, it's, it's um, well, two things. One is I think we need to turn this around and talk to you about why you think you're a commoner, because you, sir, are not a commoner. But uh, there is um, there is a unbelievable misinterpretation of backst- the world of backstage in rock and roll life. I think I, in my experience, um, I I think all that fun and partying was more in the 80s. <laughs> I was going to say Tommy Lee, baby. Yeah. I've seen the reality <laughs> show. Um, and, you know, in those bands, um, that was that was almost as important as the music was the party. If I, Maybe not a good way to say it, as big as the music. Um, but from my experience, uh, backstage can be fun. The newer bands um, that, that have, are just getting out there, Big parties, lots of fun, you know, uh, all sorts of people. Um, the bigger bands that have been around, they've they've got it down so they can survive. I think away from their families and on the road forever. Um, I, I've been with some of the biggest bands that I think the world probably thinks um, it is a sex, drug, and rock and roll deal all year. And they will not allow you backstage if you smell or look like you've been consuming alcohol. They just don't want that going on. And there's um, there's all kinds of bands that you know. The, sometimes fans get a little out of line, and I think a a lot of these groups have run into that, and they are just done with it, and they don't want to let that happen, and they kind of screen the people they let backstage. Um, but and that's not to say too that there's you know that Tommy Lee show is still going on somewhere. He's on tour, I think, so that's going on somewhere. Um, but it's and, and it's it's amazing, and it's kind of like a pinch yourself situation. Um, but it's it's much more organized because it's they got to you know they have to put on a good show, or they're not coming back to your city, or they're not going on tour again and all that. So there's um, there's some give and take there, I think, if that if that's the right way to put it. I'm so nervous and excited right now. You have this big notepad in front of you, which consists of like a two-by-three-inch <laughs> sticky note. <laughs> what are the names on it? Well, I, I just, of course, you know, I just love to talk about myself, so I didn't want to repeat myself at all here. Um, and I just wrote down a couple things um, that I thought might be of interest. And, and one of them is Jenny McCarthy. 
um, she, uh, when she was in the height of her popularity, when she was the MTV star, when she was the host and she was a household name, and she still may be, don't get me wrong, um, but she, uh, they hired her to do, um, it was called Summer Beachin', and it was the summer promotion at the Musicland and Sam Goody stores. And I was a creative, I was a creative director for, for those stores at the time. And uh, the department had many females in it. And for some reason, I was chosen by my female boss to take on the Jenny McCarthy campaign, which I had absolutely no problem with. And especially at the, I think I was about 27 years old, 28 years old, um, maybe a little older. But uh, she um, sent, they sent in this, photo shoot of her on this in a bikini and you know with the beach ball posing and all these different ways so I could use that on the signage in the store and we made another CD with like the beach it was summer songs it was C CD compilation and um, and then every celebrity that had a, a tie-in with the store would come and do a signing at the Mall of America because that was the biggest Sam Goody store and so she came in town, and I cannot remember his name, but she was married to her manager at the time. Um, I don't, he was with her, um, but he was a little overprotective of his very attractive girlfriend. And we came walking into the Mall of America right when it opened, whatever, 8.30, whatever time it was, and there was a line at the door. And we just walked in and we kept walking and this line kept going. It was like half a mile long and it was all teenage boys and some older guys in there. It was all guys waiting to get Jenny McCarthy's autograph. Hey, I think that's Bill Shirk in the line. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you were in the front. I was so impressed. So impressed. And so I, I, uh, we walk all the way up and then as we're getting closer and we get into the store, I just remember some of the looks I was getting from these guys like, who in the why Who did you this? Get, what in the world is going on? And I was just so proud of myself at the time. And and we we my boss and I and and some other people we get to the back room and she's sitting on the floor and she's signing some posters for people and everything. And they introduce her to me. And she looks up at me and she's like, "Oh, Jeff, it's so good to meet you. Thank you for making me look so good on these signs." <laughs> I just. Looked at it. All I did was cut and paste those photos. I didn't do. Well, a, how do you respond to yeah, that? Yeah, I didn't do a thing. I think it was all you and, and God. Maybe I don't know who it was, but uh, she was just so nice and just so, you know, thankful about everything. And I that was one job where I truly just put her picture on there and said music sale or whatever it was, and, and it sold itself. Sure, <laughs> but she was. She was much fun. It was a lot of fun to meet, and we we went to lunch after that, and not just she and I, but the group, and it was a good it was a good time. But then I returned back to Musicland the next morning, and she had also done an appearance in Playboy at that time, and I must have had fifteen of that same issue stacked up on my desk. So I think everyone in the building that knew I was a part of it brought me there their husband's <laughs> issue or whatever it was. I just had far too many of them in, 
in the wrong situation. <laughs> Could uh, you have that sign for me, please? It just kind of swept him off into the garbage can and got him out of there. <laughs> and this is the life you were just living. So I want to keep this moving forward because there's an outdoor element to all this. Yes. Yes. Um, well, I, I mean, you know, I've, there's, it's been years and years of, of this music stuff. And um, when I started painting in college uh, and kind of learning about acrylics and oils and everything, right away I started painting fish. Um, and then to, to tie it back to the music thing, I uh, was painting fish with a PH for my friends that are fans of the band Fish. Um, and that just kind of, I just started creating my own fish and making my own stuff and, and things of interest. And, and I've grew up loving Les Cuba and, and um, he was part of the church that we belong to and just surrounded with his stuff my whole life. But I never had this goal of creating realistic art. Um, I've, I've, that's just not who I am or what I do. So when I um, was painting fish, they always just became something from the depths of the ocean that nobody's seen yet. Um, but it's, it's, people have been attracted to it, and it's, you know, it's worked out that way. But um, the fish and, uh, and I think before when we talked years of making hats for our fishing trips and all that, kind of um, just came back from, um, from fly fishing with my friends in Montana and everything. And I, I had mentioned it was my first rainbow trout I pulled out of the Missouri River and, and held it for a minute before my friends yelled at me to get it back in the water and was like, oh, I got I to gotta paint this thing. This is amazing. And, and the hat, I, I think I painted my friend a hat as a thank you gift for that trip and... and posted it on social media years ago and and things just kept soaring so to speak from there and then um scott um at the fly box i was introduced to him through another friend and he saw the hats and and asked for a few and and um and then the show came on and um things just kept kept going and they keep going. I just did three more this last week. Um, it's, but it's, it's, it ties back to, uh, everything I, I enjoy doing and everything I've done in my life that, that I want to be a, still be a part of. Um, you know, music is, is m more than, than, uh, a creative outlet of things to create to to make things for um but it it and i don't know how to word this exactly right but it it loses a little um personability it doesn't it's not as you're creating it for a band where when you're painting fish and and are making somebody a hat you know you're doing your own thing and it's there's a lot more freedom in that um on on an art side of things that I enjoy and, and help me to, to, to keep doing what I'm doing. And I can remember seeing that first black hat sitting in that fly shop and seeing that fish. 
not looking at that hat like, oh, this is just another hat. I want It was, boom. Oh, my gosh. Look at that. That is unbelievable. Right? They're just I love that. instantly drawn to that fish out of the depths of the oceans, which nobody has seen, which I think, <laughs> if I'm reading into this, is your soul or yes, what's left, thought, yes. left of it after life on the road. But <laughs> it's your way of connecting right it's it's true and um there's something you know obviously nature um everyone has some connection and something to do with nature right and um and animals and and you know fish are are extremely interesting and nobody nobody knows what a fish thinks (laughs) nobody knows what a deer thinks um everyone thinks they do but uh you know, it's it's there's it's such a broader, broader, a broader audience, if that's a good way to say it, of of people that you can connect with or get to get their attention, um, and it 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 is more from the soul or from the heart, I think, um, and and then that that's not to say that that the other work isn't, but when you're a simple way to put that is is if you're creating something for country music you're only hitting those people that are into country music. But if you're creating a a piece that that just has kind of this natural beauty to it, it's just open. And anyone can, anybody, you know, a, a three-year-old to a 103-year-old, it's, it's, it can give you a feeling where the, the music work also can, but it's, it's a little more specific to what you might, you know, interested in um but it's it's for me it's it's um i can't i can't see an end to it um you know i can always come up with a new crazy fish (laughs) um and i can always do my best to um interpret a a a bluegill for someone or whatever it is i'm I'm, it's just it's not going to be the same thing where logos and graphics and things are kind of a repetition of the same same thing Mm -hmm. i have a challenge for you and i also want to talk about owls yes but first i want to thank a couple of sponsors um i hope you're enjoying this episode i know i sure am it's just jeff your life and your story and you know your professional hobbies are just incredible to me (laughs) jealousy is a big thing here but first let's before we get back to your story, let's thank a couple of our sponsors here. And one of them is a biggie for me. You know, here in Minnesota, cabin life is a way of life. It has been for the Shirk family for a long time, like 40 years since I was long before thinking about Jane McCarthy. You know, fishing, it's the boat rides, the evenings on the dock, the grilling out, the loon call at sunrise. It's all the things we love about life up north. But our family just experienced a big change at the cabin. We have coped with that sulfury smelling, sour tasting cabin well water since I was just a little kid. But guess what? It all disappeared like two weeks ago, thanks to our brand new Connecticut water softener and K5 drinking water system. The install literally took like four hours and completely changed our cabin water legacy. No more smell. It's gone. 
The drinking water tastes incredible. No more bottled water. Soap and shampoo, they now foam in the cabin shower. It is all thanks to Connecticut. I want you to call Connecticut like the Shirk family did and schedule your consultation and look forward to clean, safe water. Truly, it's that simple. Also, we want to thank our friends at Star Bank. Hi there, Ron Shera here for Star Bank. If you're putting your money into mega banks down the street, who knows where that money's being used? Bank locally. Keep your money local with a community bank that actually cares about you, your family, your business, and your goals. Check out the bank we use at Minnesota Bound. Try Minnesota's own Star Bank. You can find them online at starbank.net. When you call Star Bank, you actually hear a real living person answering the phone. StarBank has 10 convenient locations around Minnesota to serve you and all the mobile banking products that you need to manage your money. Check out all that StarBank has to offer at StarBank.net. All right, so we're getting back to Jeff Trodal's cult-following hats. Like, people beg to just touch one and have one. And it's not like you are mass-producing these things. There aren't hundreds and hundreds and hundreds. It's when you decide you have time to work on something what how do you describe what these fish look like i mean i know exactly what i'm looking at when i see them i would say uh oh man that's that's a great question um you know anything from like a uh, i i think i i, I kind of start out with the idea of uh, either a a brown or a rainbow trout to start if if I'm in some sort of elongated body species. Um, and then uh, if I have some new colors and paint, then I'm in trouble. Or if, uh, <laughs> uh, uh, you know, it just, it just, it just happens. I don't, I don't, I don't know. And I think if I figured it out, it might slow it down. Mm-hmm. Um, but it just, I just kind of go with it. And, um, you know, there, I've had quite a few people that want, uh, you know, a very specific bass or a, 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 they'll send me a photo of something they caught and they, they want this northern on their hat. And I do my best to interpret that. Um, but the majority of them uh, just kind of have this this Jeff Trodal thing to them. Yeah. I, I don't know I what know that is. I know it's yours. Yeah. Um, which I guess is good and bad. Um <laughs> Uh, it's, it's good, but, um, they, they, I don't know. It, it's, they're colorful. They're very colorful. Um, they're usually spotted. They all have the same lip. Um, I'm not always over worried about exact placement of fins, <laughs> but they're there and they'll work. Um, and, and it, you know, and then, uh, it's, it kind of comes down to the eye. Um, it, there's something about the eye eyes on fish and there's artists out there that, that recreate like the actual pupil of a fish. And, and if you've ever looked at one close, they're not round and they've got this shape to them and there's so much going on. And I keep mine really simple. Mine are, I have this kind of cartoon feeling. I'll do like a colored eye with a big black pupil and some highlights on it. But once I do that, the whole thing comes together. And then I go back over it, um, you know, with like a, a lighter pen or something and put in 
bones and the fins or whatever I thing. It just and it just happens. Um, and I, I don't know why. <laughs> That's a terrible answer. No, but it, I've been lucky enough to watch you paint, and you just start and you just go almost like you're following this path, and you don't know where it leads. And sometime later, boom. Yeah, perfection. It, it just why well, I, I hope it's perfection. Um, I yeah, it's and I think you know I think too like when I first start and the shape of the body tends to steer a lot. Um, like I was mentioning before, if it's like a long skinny fish and I'm kind of leaning towards the trout, and if you got something round like a panfish, you know, then it's get into that bluegill pumpkin seed colors and um crappies uh all that but it yeah it just it just really depends but if 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 you look at them all at the same time which i've never done but i've seen quite a few of them together they've all got the same face they've all got this lip and eye that go together so even though they're vastly different they seem to all come from the same family (laughs) if Again, doesn't make any sense, but it, it, it's, I mean, it's just, it's, they just happen. The same could be said for your owls. When I see a Jeff Trudeau owl, I know exactly where it's from. And there's a story behind those too. You love owls. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, um, have been painting owls for, oh gosh. Who knows how long? Yeah. <laughs> Uh, it has been years, um, 2000, I think 2011 is when I really got into it. It was, it's when my father passed away. Yeah, and, tell, tell the story. Okay. This is an incredible tale. Um, so my, my dad passed away, um, gosh, eight years, eight years after my mom. And, uh, he was kind of just doing his thing and not doing things, just getting by. And, and the house kind of got piled up, so to speak. And when he passed on, my brother and I were there and cleaning everything up. And then my wife and I decided to move in and start our family and keep the house and the family. And I found, cleaning one day, I found this owl painting that my father had done probably in the 60s, and maybe 50s, 60s. And he was a hobby artist, not a professional artist. Um, and this owl had been out over time when we were younger. So I remembered it, but I didn't ever really look at it. And I ended up hanging it in my studio and on a daily basis was looking at it, passing by it and all these things. And then um, one of the bands I was working for, Government Mule, had a show at the zoo. And I just... For some reason, I'm like, I got to do an owl. Like, this is perfect. It's Minnesota. It's the zoo. It's just all fit together. And I, um, if, if for those who have seen the poster, the uh, owl's eyeballs are the logo of the band. So it really tied in together. But um, that poster was released at that show and sold faster than anything I've ever sold before. And and then for a few weeks after, and actually till now, I guess, people have been asking me or commissioning me for owl work. And I absolutely love owls and everything about them, but I'm not in a I'm not a um 
overly educated person on owls. I don't paint them by breed and don't paint them by, um, if that's the right word, by species. I just paint owls. And like the fish, they just turn out how they turn out. Um, and I think, too, again, back to that, you know, people who paint realistic paintings and people who paint abstract or impressionistic paintings or whatever, that's where I take that artistic privilege and just kind of create an owl that if, if you saw it, somebody might have to report it and catch it and figure out what the heck it is. <laughs> so I want to go back. So growing up, there's this painting of this owl in your house. It, at what point did you realize that it was your dad who was a corporate guy, right? Wore yeah. the suit and had the office and all that. But at what do you remember at what point you realized that was my dad's work? He created that? Yeah, well, I, I think I, I knew it was his. I just it he never he never pushed or or not I pushed isn't the right word. He just never showed off his art skills. But my parents were big crafters, and they made all sorts of things, whether it was for church or sports teams or or um, garage sales or whatever. My parents were always crafting stuff, and my dad was painting. We have all these toys from when we were kids, or toy barrels and things that my dad made, and they're just they're just amazing. But he never. I don't remember him saying when I was eight years old, like, "Remember that barrel I made that you poured your Kool Aid into and ruined, or what?" You know, I don't remember any they just it wasn't big on pushing it but it was there and my brother also has has talent but he just that wasn't his thing and he he uh he made me a birthday card when we were kids and it was Dino Cicerelli picking the upper corner and a pencil drawing and I remember I looked at um looked at it and I didn't believe he did it and I was like you you paid someone to do that you didn't do this and then Finally, he convinced me he did it, and then I realized, like, if he can do it, then I got to be able to do this, and kind of went into it. But um, nobody, like, there's a lot of creativity in my family, but nobody ever really pushed it. So it wasn't, um, it wasn't a secret, but it wasn't a, th a thing. So when that painting came back, and I found it, I like right, my dad's name is in the corner of the canvas too but i knew what it was but i had just never been so so attached to it and so um you know wanting to see it i guess and and having my father not here obviously made that a big part um big part and i and i think too maybe i was kind of just trying to do what he did when i was looking at it and, and redrawing because i i well, you know, and I, I, sh I should go back on that too, because his owl has this kind of sorrow look to it, sad face. Mine are all mad, <laughs> and they're not mad on purpose. But I just, just how I do the eyes, and it's kind of got this angry bird look to it. Um, and I've had a few people ask me that, like, "What's going on? Are you okay?" And I'm like, I, "Absolutely." I'm like, but those birds are so mad. They're just intense. <laughs> they're yeah, they're thinking. I'm about to end you. <laughs> But yeah, it's it's so it was just always one of those things. But I appreciate it more now than ever that he was the way he was, you know, and that he, he did that he made those things. And I and I there's 
I think he did a lot more of it when he was younger, maybe before my brother and I were around, that kind of thing, which I'm learning now with my kids. It's real hard to sit down and draw for six to eight hours a day with children. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Especially when they want to draw on what you're drawing. Funniest on. thing, isn't it? <laughs> hey, Daddy. Oh, yes. Uh, so I told you I'd challenge you. Uh-oh. No, it's all good. Good. I, you started with the hat sort of out of convenience, right? You had all these unused band hats and went, oh, an empty canvas. I should do something with that. So I saw the other day, and you talked about this. In junior high or high school, you were painting Converse tennis shoes. Absolutely. I saw the most unbelievable pair of Vans. Mm-hmm. <laughs> shoes which for anyone who knows vans they're an old school skateboarding shoe um oddly enough little little side hustle here when we lived in california from like 1979 to 1981 my dad was one of the computer guys in the silicon valley so this minnesota kid moves out to california of which vans were a thing back then and we moved back to minnesota and I've got Vans shoes, and everyone's making fun of me. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Because they didn't exist here at that point. Everyone called them Mr. Rogers. Yeah, those slip-ons. Shoes. You've got Mr. Rogers shoes. And like three months later, you know, Vans exploded in the Midwest. And But Vans are these solid-colored shoes. Some of them are all white. It's, it's an empty canvas. And I saw the coolest fish pattern on a pair of Vans, and I instantly thought of you and went, oh, my gosh. Why isn't he painting shoes? (laughs) Absolutely. I mean, I suppose that happens all the time, right? There are a hundred blank things in this world, a million of them. It's true. You look at it and go, I could fill that with color. Well, or like the coffee cup, you know, you just never know. There's, there's, uh, that, um, I've painted everything from Yeti cups to, um, jean jackets and things like that. But the Vans shoe, um, there's quite a bit of, of artists that, that do that. Um, not the fish stuff, but they paint those shoes. shoes. Um, the problem with, with shoes and clothing is size. So for someone like myself, if somebody was to to ask for a custom pair of shoes, no problem, because I know exactly what size they need. <laughs> but for me to paint shoes, sure, you know, and I'd say I paint a, a nine and you're a nine and a half or a ten and you want those shoes, and I got to paint another size and keep those. Not have to, but it just gets a little confusing. Where hats, they just adjust right on the back. <laughs> sure. So it's a easier thing to sell um, without without a commission. Okay. Um, but I, you know, and that too, I have been lucky enough where people have been requesting hats, where I haven't just decided to paint five bass hats and five northerns and you know, four brown trouts and stock people, up. People call you now. Yeah, and I and I think it it makes it better for it. It makes it more personal for that for me and for the person that's receiving the hat. Um, it's one of a kind. Yeah, and then and I'm working on it for them. It's not something I just have sitting waiting for them to pick it. Um, which doesn't say that's wrong either, but it just kind of makes the process a little more more fun and more personal. I cannot wait till I see your next great moment 
<laughs> Me neither. Because <laughs> I'm the silly, like, I'm still the kid, the crayon-eating kid, right? And everything I look at or on my drift boat, oh, my gosh, Jeff could paint something on that. The drift boat itself, oh, my gosh, Jeff could paint something. Like, I don't know why. I just. I I'm love in, it. I I'm love intrigued it. by all that stuff. I love it. All I, right. For people who want to find your work or find you, how do they do that? Um, I'm on uh, social media, of course. Um, I'm on Instagram under my name, Jeff Trodal, or Trodies. My website is jeffsart.com. All right. I'm looking at my phone right now, not because I am ignoring you, <laughs> but because the last podcast I did, we talked about camping. Yes. And secret spots. And I'm glad you get to share in this. And I put a shout out um, to people to share some of their favorite secret spots. And there's a story. This guy over here, the guy with the big beard and the headset and the big massive panel with all the buttons next to us, that is Brandon Morton, who is our engineer slash producer, kind of the conduit, the brains of the podcast. But he has a nickname. Yeah, this is your. This is, this is my time to shine. You, you've just been sitting <laughs> yeah, yeah, here. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, the Swiss Army knife of audio. Swiss Army knife of audio. So I put a shout out and said, "Hey, tell us about your favorite secret spy. Get back to me, and if so, maybe we'll hand out a Swiss Army knife." So I have to make good on that promise, and I have two emails here. The very first two that came in. Uh, the first was from Mark Engie. I want to read this. Enjoy the podcast. Hey, my favorite campsite is number 14. He's very specific at Crosby, Manitou State Park. It is close to the end of the trail, so it's more secluded, which I love. We talked about this, that I love getting away from the fray. It's in an oxbow on the Manitou River, so it's surrounded by water and has good brook trout fishing. Ooh. Something that's sort of dear to your heart. So I'm going to have to uh, figure out how to get a Swiss Army knife to Mark. Also, uh, at the same time, I got an email um, from Mike Morgan. Hey, got your email from the podcast show. Heard it last week. Listened to every episode. I love that. I also tune in weekly to the YouTube page. It's weird that people follow us, right? But I'm so appreciative of that. Now, he was very detailed um, on his entries. But camping spots, he's a South Dakota guy. Uh, They bought a camper. They've used Google Maps. They've been all over the place. Lake Oahe, all these. But for their annual Boundary Waters trip, so they make a trip over. um, And he's been going since the age of 11. He thinks... 15 trips or so. He loves anything in the Boundary Waters. Hmm. Finally, he offered up a couple of fishing spots. He talks about using Google Maps, just the old map that you get on the intranet, that thing you talked about, the World Wide Web, <laughs> right? Interweb. And all he does is look at the island or look at the lake maps on Google Earth at the place they're going to visit in the Boundary Waters, and he can see the reefs. He can see the sunken islands from those satellite photos, and that's how they figure out where to fish. Hmm. And guess what? They catch fish. Yes. 
So I think that is uh, brilliant advice. So uh, I will figure out a way to get Mike Moran a Swiss Army knife as well. Perfect. Perfect. So there you go. People are listening to us. We sure appreciate folks listening. Jeff, I appreciate your story. Um, Before you go, do you have any bucket list outdoor trips? Oof. Oof. I, uh, you've been all over the place. You know, I don't, I, I have so many that I would be so willing to go on. Um, I had some friends that were talking about, uh, fishing in Alaska this summer, which sounds amazing. Um, uh, another buddy, I couldn't make it, but wanted me to go out to Wyoming and, um, do some serious deep camping and fishing. Um, What'd you say? Like, I'm sorry, I can't make it. Beyonce needs me. I sent him a picture of my calendar and he sent me back a laughing emoji with tears. And he's like, yeah, my kids are old now. (laughs) Grateful dead. Javer McCarthy. Blues traveler. No, no, this was, this was, um, lacrosse, soccer, soccer, (laughs) hockey, lacrosse, soccer. Oh, that calendar. Yeah, that calendar. (laughs) Um, but it, uh, yeah, I, 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 I don't know if I have, any one specific place I'm looking to get to, I'm just looking to go everywhere kind of deal. And I'm just entering that phase where my oldest son is getting old enough to join me. And it's time to start doing some some camping and fishing training, mm-hmm. get him on a fly pole and the whole works. And it's amazing because those trips can be 20 minutes at the pond next to the house, and they're just as profound as Wyoming. Oh yeah, we were in Baxter on the dock, and he—I taught him to hold a sunny, and I think we held every sunny in that lake that day. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was fantastic, fantastic. I have a, a question before you kick me out of here. What um, what fish pattern were you thinking on your shoes? <laughs> oh, oh, anything I can catch. <laughs> I don't even know how to answer that. Everything is amazing, right? Like you said, you picked up that rainbow trout. Everyone asks, what's your favorite fish? What's your favorite thing? It's the next one. Yeah, that's right? true. That's the greatest answer I've ever heard. Right? Pike are incredible. Smallmouth bass have these stripes that are amazing. You know, Brady Shirk and I were back in the woods last week catching brook trout. Their colors are out of this world. I mean, you and I caught perch together and you looked at that perch and went that's amazing i need to paint that right (laughs) it's true and they're beautiful it's just they all are there's even that conjuncted scale spot on a carp have you ever seen that if next time you see a carp there's a and i can't remember which species it is but there's this spot on them that this the pattern just leaves and it looks like they just tied him up and let him go kind of deal and it's awesome I don't know what it is, but it's awesome. And I think that is maybe, it's going to sound a little thick, why we love the outdoors so much. There is beauty everywhere. Everywhere. For me, it's not about the biggest fish. It's it's not about me catching more fish than you. It's just that moment, seeing them, looking at them. Yeah. Right? I had the boys in the drift boat this weekend, and um, they caught some really nice, big, smallmouth bass, but... Brady caught this little 10 inch dinker and I pulled it out of the net and I took the fly out of its mouth and he went, no, no, no. I want to hold it. 
and he put that little fish in his hands and he just looked at it yeah for five seconds before he put it back in and i just i, I watched that and went yes yeah it's amazing he's got it it's amazing. yes they're all incredible yeah my my son was chasing minnows up north and and i you know all of a sudden he's like this is a bass and this and he was figuring out what was what and it's, i just love it love it now if i just knew how they think or what they think about like you said or how to get them to go to bed. <laughs> <laughs> I was talking about the fish, not oh, the kids. Oh, yeah, that's true. That's, that's true. <laughs> Jeff, thank you. Yes, thank you very much. Well, there you go. The Man About the Woods, Bill Shirk. That is the story behind the story, the Minnesota Bound podcast. Of course, you can find Jeff's television story online. Just punch in his name in Minnesota Bound, and it pops right up. Beautiful, beautiful work. Hey, I want to thank all the people who help us make the Minnesota Bound podcast happen each week. The stories behind the stories presented by Connecticut Water Treatment Systems. You know, my family uses Connecticut. Yours should too. We'd like to thank the Minnesota Historical Society. Also, Oreo and Ritz. Hewitt Docks. Star Bank, the bank we use at Ron Sheriff Productions and the Minnesota Propane Association. And don't forget to bag your limit this fall in North Dakota. Visit legendarynd.com to plan your visit. Jeff, do you know what we say at the end of Minnesota Bound? Don't forget to introduce a kid to the great outdoors. (laughs) 